Hi, I'm Danny Blank, class of 1991, and you're watching Dingo Talk. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carla Guadagnino. This is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. My guest this week is Danny Blank, class of 1991. Dan, thank you very much for joining us, taking the time. Came highly recommended, as we talked about earlier. <laughs> you need new sources. <laughs> I might need some new ones. Um, so you got you you came to Bethany in '96 or 1986 from the Princeton. I'm gonna let you do it because I already messed it up once. Uh, the Hun School of Princeton. And how did you make your way from the Hun School of Princeton to Bethany? So a couple of things happened. One is um, a long time ago, before there was this thing called the internet, there used to be college fairs and admissions counselors would come and they'd set up tables and you'd pick up these little index type cards. You can fill out, request more information. And I, I had done that for Bethany. And um, a woman who worked in the admissions office, brand new in the admissions office, uh, Susie Lemley, um, I guess she found my card or whatever, and she set up a, a school visit out at the Hun School of Princeton. And um, I had no idea what, I knew nothing about Bethany. I just, I don't even know why. I think I'd like the design on the card or whatever. I don't know why I filled it out, but I did. And she came to Hun. And the, the, the funny thing was, um, I was good friends with a guy named Tom Jingoli. And we'd gone to school together. I started hunting in sixth grade. He started it in eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we were instantly very good friends. We, you know, we played soccer and baseball together. So anyway, it's our senior year. Neither of us know where we're going to college. And um, I told Jingo, I said, hey, I got I got a meeting with this girl from Bethany. Do you feel like coming with me? And he said, yeah, I'll come with you. So anyway, I think the meeting was set for about 3.30. And it just happened to be a really windy day in probably early November. And um, the leaves were just blowing off the trees and just making crazy patterns down to the earth. And Tommy and I were out there trying to catch the leaves. This is how, <laughs> this is how smart we looked. <laughs> and if they weren't falling down fast enough, we were throwing our shoes up at the tree <laughs> to try to knock leaves down. <laughs> Not realizing that the office where this meeting was gonna take place had a window that looked directly out to us. And, and Susie Lemley was in there watching us try to catch leaves. And I can't imagine what was going through her head when she realized that we were the two, you know, that walked through the door. So, um, so uh, yeah, Susie, you know, all of a sudden enlightened me about, um, you know, what a great soccer program they had. And the, the, there was only two things I really wanted out of, well, three things I wanted out of a college. I wanted a small school because I went to a small high school and I loved it. I wanted a, a good communications program and uh, I wanted a chance to play for a national championship and Bethany offered all three of those things. So um, I came out for my visit probably in December or January of uh, 86. And um, I guess it was in January and, uh, or maybe February, even the um, soccer team. I was stayed with a guy named Jimmy Dalton and his roommate was Milo, Milo Orsini Stayed with those guys, um, had a great time, and um, I, I, I got to play with the team while I was there. We played in, played some indoor, and I, and I played really well that day. And uh, Paul Hayward was the assistant coach at the time, 
and I think uh, he had a word with Bubba about me. So the next day was Saturday and the, the team was off at an indoor tournament somewhere. So I was kind of left to fend for myself, except Jimmy had basically set me up with his girlfriend to take me out with her friends. So where do you go in Bethany in 1986? You go to Bubba's and we went down we're having a great, I'm, I'm 17 years old. I'm surrounded by college girls and people are buying me beer. Like, this is the greatest thing ever. And Bubba came out at one point, never met this man in my life. First time I saw him, he's like the size of Sasquatch. And he, <laughs> and he gives me a Bubba's Bison in Bethany college soccer hat. And he's like, you should come here. And I said, okay, Bubba. <laughs> because <laughs> what else were you going to say to him yeah exactly i pretty much made my college commitment to bubba <laughs> which uh yeah and he he's the he actually benefited a lot more from that than anyone <laughs> so anyway that's that's how i ended up at bethany so and you were going communications from the start that's what you wanted to do look i all i i really wanted to do was be an advertising copywriter um and i you know i I knew nothing about college before I got to college. I really, I mean, my parents didn't go to college. I had no inside information. Um, I just kind of came to understand that advertising fell into the communications field. And, um, you know, to be honest, all I was just good with words, right? I didn't, I had no idea what advertising industry looked like other than, you know, some episodes of Bewitched. You know, I had, I had no idea what I was getting into. But that's that's what I wanted to pursue. So, um, so yeah, and you know, I, I was really fortunate. Bethany's communications program was was super strong at the time, um, and uh, it was it was a great place to be. And, and you know, I learned a ton. Now, did you did you do did you dabble in WVBC? Did you dabble in the TV? I mean, I know you had to do all of those, but was were were there interest in those things as well? Um, I going from worst to best. I hated, I had a very brief, I, it wasn't even a stint. It was an assignment for uh, W uh, for the TV, TV three, right. The TV station. Um, because back then you had to lug a big camera around and then you had to go into and actually cut it up. This is pre-digital. You had to, you know, actually splice film together. That was not my, definitely not my bag. Uh, I had a radio show for a semester. That was fun. Um, I, I wrote for the tower, uh, probably from my sophomore year on um, enjoyed doing that more than anything. So, uh, so yeah, I, you know, I got some, I got some pretty cool experiences out of it. And then, so let's go into soccer. You, your goal when you came, the, the goal of going somewhere was play for a national championship, the communications degree, small school. So Bethany checks two of those off of the list. The third one, you're coming into a program that, that is, is pretty dominant in the, in the conference at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And until we got there, <laughs> yeah, we, um, so it, the soccer experience was amazing, right? Like it, you go through college, I don't care how big the school you go to is, but you, you know, you end up kind of developing your little circle of friends and those are the people you're tightest with and, and it kind of shrinks the size of the college for you. And, and for mm -hmm. me, that was all the, you know, the soccer program and also, uh, the alpha Sigma five fraternity, um, but, you know, I knew I was a good soccer player coming out of, out of New Jersey, coming out of high school. Um, I didn't know how little I knew about soccer until I got to Bethany. 
and I was surrounded by better players and a coach named Graham Ramsey, who was JC's assistant. And I learned more in my first three months at Bethany about, about soccer, about thinking soccer than I did in, in probably my entire life combined. You know, I could play the game, but I, I didn't know how much I didn't know. Mm-hmm. until I got with Graham and, and, and he, he opened my eyes and, you know, we, <laughs> we started out the season um, four and four and it was, we were the first team in like, I don't know, five, six years to fall out of the national top 20. And it was just an emergency, right? Like yeah. and when you're a freshman, you don't understand it. Right. But all the other, all the older players, the coaches are stressed out as hell about it. And, um, you know, we knew we wanted to make the NCAA tournament, but we did like all of a sudden everybody's worried about, you know, being the team that breaks the streak. Um, and then we went on this remarkable run and I think we won our last 10 games. I think we won them all by shutout and going into the last game of the season, uh, we were playing at Davis and Elkins on the road on a Wednesday and, uh, the, the national rankings came out on Wednesday mornings and it just so happened that morning Davis and Elkin was ranked number one in the country in division two and we had to win that game to to make the NCAA tournament we knew like if we lost we weren't going to get a bid we had to win this game and um it just so happened to be also well it, it was also the night a fight broke out on Geraldo like not when they they aired the episode but it's when it actually happened. Anyway, we go down to DNA and um, I'm pretty sure Denny Sarioff scored two goals. We ended up uh, pretty much kicking her ass, winning three to one. And, um, you know, it was one of those games where their coach comes into the locker room afterwards and says, you know, my boys needed to get their ass kicked. Thank you for doing it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that was a, that was a pretty remarkable experience. I really enjoyed that. So, so yeah, we were, you know, we were pretty, pretty darn strong team. Um, Every year I was there, uh, we, we never did finish the job. I thought we probably were the best team in the country my sophomore year. But, um, you know, my freshman and sophomore year, we lost to UNC Greensboro. Both years, they went on to win the national championship. Um, my freshman year, we lost to them three to two at Greensboro. The next year, we lost to them two to one at Bethany. And both years, the remainder of their games to the national title were scores of four, nothing, five, nothing, six, nothing. Like they, there wasn't even a close game. Soccer America said that, you know, the division three national championship is decided in the South region final, which was going to be us in, in Greensboro. So, and they so, continued yeah. to be kind of a thorn in Bethany, Bethany side for soccer specifically. They, they were a habitual thorn in the side. For, for you guys and for, for JC as, as in his career. I mean, they seems the more stories I hear, the more their name is just always associated with, uh, you know. Hey, you know what? They were an elite program. We were, we were right there with them. And, you know, like I said, our sophomore year, we, I thought we were the better team on the day. Mm-hmm. Um, they just happened to score one more goal than we did. Um, but it was, you know, I'll I'll always remember those games. And, uh, you know, I've had many sleepless nights replaying them in my head for, for years after, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was two great games to be a part of, you know, it's what you want out of a, out of a game of that caliber. And then you also brought up the other side. So soccer was a very big and important part of your Bethany experience. The other side of that was your involvement in 
with Alpha Sigma Phi and being, I more or less want to talk to you about living in the mansion and, and being in that, in that different part, because it's not something, you know, as a member that lived on the Hill, I know what that house is like. And I've walked through Point Breeze twice, but I don't know if I could really, you know, you can't really see what it would have been like when you were living there. So what was your, why Alpha Sig? And then what was your Alpha Sig experience like? Honest to God, man, I was this close to being a Sigma Nu. Um, as a matter of fact, on bid night, um, my three big Jingo and, um, it was very tight with the guy, Tom Jingoli, who went to hunt with me. He mm-hmm. ended up coming along to Bethany and, uh, two Canadian guys, Gunther Schumann and Sean Thompson. And we were, you know, the four of us were tight and on bid night, I just didn't know a lot of the alpha SIGs. I, I become much closer with some of the Sigma news and I was about to, and I actually did. I did. I put my bid in for Sigma Nu. And I was so distressed about it that night I went to Sigma Nu and I talked to another soccer player, a guy named Johnny O'Sullivan. And he told me to basically rescind my pledge and to pledge Alpha Sig. And it was like, that's a ballsy move in that, in that, you know, moment. And I, I was always thankful to him for, you know, basically looking out for my best. He knew I'd be better off going with my friends. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I went to Alpha Sig, not really, having great relationships, not, I'm not having strong relationships with anybody really in the house. But, um, you know, I put my faith in my friends who were also freshmen and, and went to Alpha Sig and it was, it was a phenomenal experience. I mean, living in that mansion was fantastic that the people, it was just, and I, I would imagine it was probably like this at most houses, right? Like my experience was phenomenal as an Alpha Sig. I'm sure there are adults who had, you know, their experience was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Um, living in the mansion was great. You know, um, the ghostly experiences were great. Uh, just, it was just, a quite a collection of characters. And then look, so there's a couple things that when you, one, one of the reasons some people spoke up for me about being on this podcast, I think there were two things on the agenda that they wanted me to get out. And the first one was this. So back at homecoming, I was talking about how I would actually like to start a podcast about the gong. Now the gong, if you, if you get a hold of some videotapes from about the 1987 college soccer season, Bethany home games, you'll just hear this annoying bong, bong, like incessant okay. the entire game. And I don't know what happened. Some alpha sig found a, got a, got a hold of a gong and it became the thing to bring to soccer games. And they would just stand there and bang it for a couple of years, this went on every home game and the gong got kept at Alpha Sig. And my, my last memory of it was, you know, Alpha Sig, when we had the mansion, we had, um, used to be campus rule, no parties, no off campus parties for the first two weeks of school. Like they wanted all the partying to go through campus programming, campus life, whatever. So, you know, of course we immediately defy that. And um, we have a party on the first night that freshmen arrive and we find out we're going to get fined. If we have this party, they warn us, you're going to get a $500 fine if we have this party. So immediately we name it the fine party and we get people to buck up to pay the fine. So that's what happened like year one or two. And then one year we have the fine party and they decide to counter it instead of justifying, they also give us community service. 
and we have to meet like on main street, like right outside of Bubba's at like 7am or some, some insane thing on a Sunday morning. And I remember being in the third floor alpha sig and we had a, we, I think we had a mixer or something the night before. And here comes Danny Barlow with this gong going through the house, banging this thing. It like a gong outside is, is loud. A gong surrounded by four walls is unbelievably loud. Uh-huh. And you could hear him before he even got to the, you know, well before he got to the third floor and he's just going around banging a gong shouting, if it's too loud, you're too old. Bong, bong, bong. <laughs> and I, I remember I was like, oh, Barlow, like I'm too old, man. I'm too old. Just <laughs> make it stop. So that, that was our wake up call. By the way, if you ever want a, uh, I got a couple of, of future guests that you should consider trying to get on the show. Danny Barlow's won an MLS cup. He was the uh, strength and conditioning coach for the LA Galaxy. I'm sorry, for Real Salt Lake when they beat uh, the LA Galaxy in the national final. Also, I'm fairly sure he was the inspiration for the show Jackass. So, uh, <laughs> so he's well worth getting on your, on your program. So anyway, eventually the gong disappeared and nobody seems to know what happened to it. So I would like to start a, a podcast of trying to find out like who was the last person that had this thing. And, and just uh, go back back through until you find that there's person. Gonna be so, there's going to be so many great stories associated with that, right? All the all the all the different directions that that things will spin off. So yeah, that was the that was the first thing that I'm pretty sure people wanted me to talk about was was the Find the Gong podcast. Um, the second thing after um, four years of deciding four years of Bethany wasn't quite enough. Um, Sean Thompson, Gunther Schumann, Walter Henkels, and myself decided we would take an extra semester. <laughs> so I actually, I took an incomplete in my senior year, spring of my senior year, just so I can come back for, for one more semester of college. So my last semester of college, fall semester, I had a uh, <laughs> Tuesday and Thursday, 10 a.m. One class. <laughs> one class, one hour. So two hours a week in the class. And um and we lived in a place that's no longer there. It was, there was a house right behind Campbell Hall. And um, when we first got to Bethany, we didn't have anywhere to live, right? Like literally, I mean, literally we were living out of our cars for the first few days. And um, I found out this house might be available. The, the woman who owned it lived in California. I called her, I begged her to rent it to us. She did, did her due diligence and said, there's no freaking way I'm renting to you guys. <laughs> and I begged her again. I was like, I promise we'll take good care of your house. We just have nowhere to live. Please. And thank God bless her. Um, she let us move into the house. And um, it happened to be the semester where Bubba's was closed for renovations. Um, so, you know, that big back room in Bubba's where the pool tables are and all that. Yep. None of that was there. That, that ramp going down wasn't there. It was just, it just ended at the bathrooms. So Bubba's was closed for a semester. And, um, you know, fraternities are fairly tribal and there's not as much going on in the fall as there is in the spring. So there was a need, <laughs> which, <laughs> which we managed to fulfill. So we, we kind of became like the, uh, the, the Switzerland of parties, right? And um, we would, throw a keg in the basement or kegs in the basement and, you know, 
charge five dollars at the door and we pay our rent, pay all our bills. We actually had a couple of uh, Alpha Z's who we, we would pay to come in and clean the place periodically. And uh, yeah, we lived we lived quite the dream there. And um, my uh, my buddy Sean nicknamed the place IBA. That became the, uh, the unofficial not Greek letters for it. Um, <laughs> the uh, the Canadians had us when they talked about drinking or talking about beer, they called it uh, bevies. And drinking was to Bev. So there's, you know, there's a big yeah. verb breakdown there. So um, Sean nicknamed it IBA for IBEVA always. And uh, we became we became the social hub at Bethany for a semester, which was pretty phenomenal. So when you get to the end of the fall semester and everybody's having their Christmas formals, we were getting invited to all of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that was uh that was a that was a great time. So anyway, so- I kind of I kind of I kind of hijacked your podcast here for a little bit. Sorry about well, that. So you you brought up Bubba's. What was what was a day a typical weekend at Bubba's like? All right, Minus so, the one semester that it wasn't the ones that you remember at least. So if I remember correctly, Monday was court night, Tuesday was import night, Wednesday was beat the clock, Thursday was oldies night. There were no specials on Friday and Saturday. Um, it scares me that I remember that. Um, <laughs> like, like it was no problem either. It was just like, bang, 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 bang. yeah, yeah. Spent, spent a fair bit of time in that place. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Bub, I mean, Bubba's was the social hub, right? Like if you, and it was look. <laughs> so first of all, you could get in there with your college ID, right? Now I started college when I was 17. And all like this place was like, you know, Mecca to me. Mm-hmm. Like all I had to do was show my Bethany college ID, this little laminated thing. It said I'm 17. You know, the guy at the door, I wave you through and that's fine. It was great. <laughs> Phenomenal about Bubba's like this, this could have happened nowhere else is every night for that. So the first week Bubba's is mobbed because all the yeah. freshmen for the first time in our life, you know, can basically access the bar. So, um, they would chuck would come over the the pa system and he would talk about the um fluorescent lights the 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 beer lights yeah you know the budweiser the signs the budweiser sign whatever other iron city sign whatever is it whatever's out there and he would say he would say to everybody look if you ever see the lights go out and you're not 21 put your drink down and step away from it and that was so what would happen is if, if a bar in West Virginia got raided by the uh, ABC or whatever, whatever they're called, they would start a phone tree to, to tell the next bar in line, like, hey, the ABC is coming kind of thing. So that was the that was the early warning system. And I was in the bar one time when that happened. And it was hysterical because, I mean, three quarters of the people in there aren't 21. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the, the lights the fluorescent lights go out everybody puts their drinks down and steps away these guys walked into the bar <laughs> you know there's like a dozen people with the beer in their hand meanwhile there's about 300 <laughs> drinks on the bar that nobody's nobody's near so um so yeah that was that was pretty fun um but yeah like bubba's bubba's was great you know it's it was it served a really uh, and i'm saying this is going to sound kind of silly um but it actually, there was a really good practical reason to have it. And that was, you weren't drinking and driving. Absolutely. You know what I mean, 
like as opposed to having to go to West Lib or having to go to Wellsburg or Wheeling, whatever. But Bub is right there. Every, it's walkable for pretty much everybody. Um, you know, you don't have to get on 88, which is a death trap. If you know, even 67 is not any better. I mean, exactly, exactly. So, so, uh, so yeah, Bubba's was, uh, you know, served a great purpose for us. Um, and we had, we had many, many phenomenal times there. I once, I once got punched in the chest by Bubba and, uh, it felt like I got hit by a grizzly bear. Yeah, I'm glad to <laughs> like, see you're in one piece because his hand was. God. He knocked me. When you come to the front door, he used to sit at a stool right by the front door. And about five, six, seven yards away was a cigarette machine. And I remember when he punched me in the chest, seeing that cigarette machine flying by me. <laughs> I was like, holy crap. Well, so, uh, and speaking of the places in town, is there any chamber stories that you can remember either as a student or as an alumni coming back? The one thing I remember about, I wrote a blog about this probably in like 2010 or 11. Um, when I was in college, Chambers sold a sandwich for a dollar. You know, it was a great sandwich. You go mm -hmm. in and ham cheese, whatever you wanted, roast beef cheese, what, you know, lettuce, tomato, phenomenal sandwich, one buck. In like 2000 and I'm going to say 2009, I went back to Bethany and Chambers was still serving a sandwich for a buck. A year later, the sandwich cost $1.25. I was like, I can't believe they raised their prices 25% in one year. <laughs> it's absolutely criminal. <laughs> so uh, yeah, but Chambers was great. The little, the little general store next, next to them was great because they sold beer and um, God, I wish I could remember. I can't remember the owner's name. But I mean, you could call that guy in three at three in the morning, and he would, and he would, yeah, he'd come out the back door, hand you a case of beer, you hand him the money, and yeah, a lot of beer well, stories apparently. <laughs> I think that's a good place to. All right, we'll take a pause. We'll send it to Chambers so that we can we can refresh our beverages. <laughs> yeah. um, Chambers General Store. If they don't have it, you don't need it. It's on the back of their t-shirts. Uh, it's pretty. I would say it's almost fact. It's as factual as factual can be with everything that's in that store. You can also get the Shroom Capital of the World shirts. That's the third edition of them, and they're in a neon <laughs> green. Uh, breakfast sandwiches, daily lunch specials, soups. Uh, first Friday of every month is Fish Friday. And as Dan pointed out, you have the $1.25 sandwiches now um, that he'll make right in front of you. But uh, I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is D the Dingo Talk alumni tour. Dan Blank, class of 1991, and we'll be right back. You're watching another exciting episode of Dingo Talk, recorded deep in a hidden lair in Bethany, West Virginia, where when you visit, make sure you stop by Chambers General Store. Grab one of our hot breakfast sandwiches made fresh all day. Don't forget the biscuits and gravy or one of the daily lunch specials. And if none of that trips your trigger, cold cut sub sandwiches and wraps made fresh all day to your order. Hey, and don't be the only alumni on the block that doesn't have the Chambers, if you, we don't have it, you don't need it t-shirt or the latest edition of the Bethany West Virginia shroom capital of the world in the psychedelic green. Hey, now back to you, Carlo. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. My guest this week, Danny Blank, class of 1991. Uh, we left off talking about Bubba's and Chambers and Alvesig and soccer and how you got to Bethany. 
Now the, the thing that connects us all, that test with the blue books where you have to, you have to write for two days and talk for a day. Um, were you a spring or a spring or a winter comper? I was a January comper. So what was the experience? Like, well, how did you, how did you study? Where did, where was the buildup? When did you realize that you had to kind of buckle down? I came directly after New Year's. I came back to Bethany for J term and did not take a class, just, just studied. And we had, you know, thankfully communications majors um, had great notes, you know, mm -hmm. from previous classes and so forth. And we had, you know, I was surrounded by a lot of really smart people. And, uh, you know, I got into some really good study groups. And my thing was, I refused to be as stressed out as the seniors I had seen before me. Okay. Right. I wasn't, I wasn't going to let that happen to me. So, you know, I understood how to study. Um, and I understood how not to study. And the, one of the ways not to study is to just kill yourself trying to cram every bit of information you can into your head um, for four weeks. So mm -hmm. I wasn't going to do that. So I, I had a pretty regulated, you know, routine. I just get up, go have breakfast, you know, and study for study to lunch, study from lunch till dinner. After dinner, I was done, you know, for the most part. And then um, I kind of made a point that I was going to have a beer every night, you know, a beer or two and, uh, you know, just go and, and relax. Now, and Would you say the routine really helped you in the sense that you just, it kind of got you already prepared. Is this what I'm going to do? I'm going to wake up. I'm going to go to breakfast. I'm going to study. I'm going to go to lunch. I'm going to yeah. study after dinner, have a couple beers, relax, come back at it the next day. Absolutely. It was, it was just like a job, you know, it was, it was basically eight hours a day. I, I, you know, some, I'm sure we did some nighttime study groups as well, but um, you know, I, I was not, I was not the one like pulling my hair. Well, when I had, I wasn't the one pulling my hair out um, worrying about it. You know, I was like, I, I felt when I walked into that room for written's, I felt really prepared. Okay. And when I walked out of that room after the first day of written's, I was like, Oh my God, I just killed that. You know, I was so, so certain that I, that I absolutely nailed it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I think you did written one day and then, then orals the next. Is that, is that how it's? You got the, it? there's two tests Monday. You have the two written on Monday, one test Tuesday, and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is normally the orals. Okay. I don't, it's kind of a blur to me, but. Um, I remember, you know, being done with writtens and thinking I'm going to get distinction. You know, I was, I was very, uh, confident. I, I certainly knew that I wasn't going to fail based on orals. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like I, I, I thought I felt I could almost skip orals and still pass the test. Um, so, you know, one, one of the things I've learned, my, my 10th grade history teacher, Lou Mastella used to say this to us and it, it never really made well it almost made too much sense he used to say don't study what you already know and i'm like of course you don't <laughs> and then but then you know it's a history class so you use a lot of flashcards, right you write something down on one side of it and you write the rest of it down on the other side but i would find myself when i go through the flashcards, i'd still put the things i knew back in the pile for the next time even though I already knew them. And you know why you do that? Cause it feels good. Yeah. Cause you know, those answers, well, that's just wasting your time. You know what I mean? So I kind of eventually in 10th grade, I got the, I got the point of that, which is, you know, if you know it, you already, it's, it's in there. 
Yeah. Don't worry about it anymore. And I thought that was a fairly big part of comps. You know, I think a lot of students, especially in the memorization courses, they just want to memorize over and over the, the stuff that's already embedded in there. Mm-hmm. And I think that just, uh, you know, it wastes a lot of time. So anyway, I, I knew how to study and um, yeah, it, it worked out great. And, you know, walking out of comps, I had, a, I think I had a 9am oral. Yeah. Who was on your, do you remember who was on your panel? I do. <laughs> and I tell you, I tell you where I almost blew it. Um, Wally Neal was one of the people on my oral. And I honestly, I can't for the life of me think of the other two. But Wally Neal was the person from out of my major. He was an education guy. I was a communications guy. And he threw me not even a softball. He threw me a beach ball. (laughs) So this is 1991. And he asks about the the rising popularity of soccer in the United States. And why he thinks, why do I think it's becoming so much more blah, 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 you know. Which is right up your... Yeah, it's, it's my wheelhouse, man. You yeah. couldn't ask. I, I like, and I didn't think Wally liked me. <laughs> and he, he, he sends me this. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. This is unbelievable. <laughs> and I, and I was tanking it and I knew I was tanking it. I, like, I knew there was something that I was missing. So I finished my answer. I saw the look of general disappointment on his face. And, and the next person asked me a question and I said, wait a minute, can I go back and add one thing to my last answer? And they said, sure. And I said, yeah, we're hosting the World Cup in 1994. That probably has a lot to do with it, too. And you can see Wally, like, you know, do a little check mark and like, duh, you know, like the biggest sporting event in the world. And the, the soccer guy can't think of it. So, <laughs> so anyway, it was great walking out of comps. All your buddies are there. You know, they they do they I guess they still do this, but everybody's there with, you know, bottles of whatever it is. And, yeah. you know, start your celebration and. Um, and yeah, then was, you have a week. Well, in your case, you had a semester and then an extra semester of just. <laughs> no, that was that was literally like the last thing I did at Bethlehem. Okay. Yeah, I was. So we took this. We took that extra semester. Came back, studied J term, and then then I was gone. Like two days after I took my orals, I was I was on the road. Now, what is the next step after graduation for you? <laughs> oh, by the way. I'm sorry. I'm going to do this to you one more time. I'm going to go back to the IBA because I, there's another couple people I would recommend you, you recruiting as guests. So one of the reasons I begged our, my way into this house was I promised there wouldn't be any parties, which was a promise. I had absolutely no intention of keeping and I, and I regret it to this day, but whatever. So <laughs> we, you know, give us a, give us an inch. We're going to, you know, take a mile as college students are wont to do. And at one point we decided it would be a good idea. We're about time we have a band in our house. (laughs) So um, we set up in the basement. It was the first uh, public appearance by the the band that went on to become known as Brownie Mary. And it wasn't the full band then it was, uh, but Rich was on guitar and Kelsey was, you know, the vocalist and, um, yeah, I mean those are those are two phenomenal guests. I mean they, I mean they played Bill Clinton's inauguration, and Rich has won some Emmys. Yeah, um, Kelsey's just a phenomenal representative um, for for the college. So 
uh, yeah, I would, I would, uh, highly recommend you go and, and, and I can, I can hook you up if you need me to, but, um, yeah, those, those are two people really worth talking to. They've led some really interesting lives and, uh, you know, we take a lot of pride. We're actually doing an IBA reunion down in Key West in, uh, in April. And, uh, we take a lot of pride in, uh, in launching Brownie Mary, not that we deserve any credit for it, but we're going to take <laughs> it regardless. So, of course. Uh, so yeah. So it was cool because back then, you know, hell, even frat houses didn't have bands playing in them. You know, it, it just wasn't. We we're like, why not? So, um, yeah, I'm sure the I'm sure the noise ordinance was uh, was heavily invoked then. It was inc- it was amazing what we like. We were off campus, right? So college campus security left us alone. We weren't Greek, you know. No, we we were, and I love JC, right? JC was a, a a great part of my life and he, and he still is mm-hmm. we had to be his worst nightmare for that, <laughs> you know three or four months like there was nothing they could do to control us and um it just it, it drove them mental but um you know we had you know in, in poker terms for a semester we had the nuts <laughs> you know we had the unbeatable hand so so yeah so um that was, I'm sorry. Again, I've, I hijacked it, but I, I really want to. It's your show. I'm just here to guide it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think you should get uh, Richard Kelsey or both of them on because they've, I mean, I went to a Brownie Mary show. They actually just coincidentally played uh, on my birthday weekend back in September mm-hmm. up in Pittsburgh. And, you know, there was a group of about a dozen of us Bethany people that organized, went to Pittsburgh specifically to go to the show. We actually stayed at Kelsey's house, which is great. But man, at the at those two shows, I ran into another dozen or more Bethany alums, you know, that have connected through Brownie Mary. So, um, so yeah, they're. I mean, I don't know if you've ever listened to them, but they're a fun they're a fun band to go watch. Um, they're 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 phenomenally talented. Kelsey's voice is out of this world. I'll have to check them out for sure. I yeah, mean, I... they're 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 excellent. I when I got my first coaching job at Wheeling, uh, Wheeling Jesuit had a bar. I don't know if they still do. They had a bar on campus in in the same building that housed the cafeteria that a bar called the rat. And I actually got Brownie Mary booked at the rat. Um, so, so the wheeling, the wheeling crowd suddenly like loved Brownie Mary. It was really, it was cool. Cool to be just to touch that kind of greatness for a little bit. So what, when you leave Bethany though, what is the, what's your first move outside? What's the first move after graduation? Oh dude, you're in for a story. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. I'm going to try to tell this as quickly as I can. <laughs> don't, don't hold your breath. So I had lived a couple of summers during college down at Myrtle Beach. And, um, but my final summer, I moved back to New Jersey and I got a job bartending and I really liked bartending. So after comps, I moved straight back down to Myrtle Beach thinking I would get a bartending job. Mm-hmm. Well, man, it's off season. And what I learned, and I went to like 50 different freaking bars trying to get a job. And what I learned is those places, they love their bartenders. The bartenders love those jobs. They hold them for the for their previous, even if the bartenders go back to college or whatever, they hold them until the season starts up again. And these guys come back to their old jobs. I wasn't getting a job anywhere. Mm-hmm. And the place I lived in was right by Hooters. And I would drive past Hooters every day. And I was like, I'm never working at Hooters. I don't want to work at Hooters. I just can't get a job anywhere. Next thing you know, I'm filling out an application at Hooters. (laughs) 
And by the way, I'd been rejected for so many jobs. Like back then it was all paper applications and they were all basically the same. Mm -hmm. And then the, the second page, the back of the page, you had to put in your like three references or whatever. And I was so convinced that nobody would read these things that I put in for my references, like Santa Claus, Diego Maradona and Jesus Christ, something like that. And so I fill out, I fill out the application and go to hand it to the, the hostess or the waitress or whatever. And she's like, okay, wait right here. I'm going to go get the manager. And I was like, Oh, Oh, so manager comes out. He's reading the first page of the application. I'm just sitting there like, just please don't turn it over. Just don't look at the second. <laughs> he turns it over. Looks up. He's like, Santa Claus, huh? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, I swear to God, you weren't, I didn't think you were going to read it. So he hired me. I started that night. Horrible job. Phenomenal social life, but a horrible job. Um, one night, the three dishwashers quit at once. They had a, they had a little spat with one of the waitresses. She was having a, a moment and yelled at the, the three dishwashers, these like three 13 year old kids. They, and they quit said, on the <laughs> now by this time I had, you know, worked my way up the ladder to fry guy. So I'm, I'm out front, I'm, I'm cooking the wings. When the night ends, I, I'm not kidding you just behind the door into the kitchen there is a stack of pots pans plates everything that's a yard wide a yard high and 15 yards back to the dishwashing station and the manager's like dan it's like i'm sorry to do this to you but you're the last one on you know you're the last one hired i was like oh you gotta be kidding me and i i kind of should have quit right then but i was like you know what i'm a team player i'm gonna do this i sat there for the next three four hours washing every damn dish in that place. And uh, when I got home, I was like, I can't do this. I was like, man, I'm going to be a college graduate in a couple months. And I, that's what I went into the manager the next day. And I told him, I said, look, man, I said, I, I went to college. You know, I can't, I don't want to spend my life washing dishes, whatever. So I quit without having another job to go to. Going through the one ads, find a Panama Jack is hiring tanning consultants. I don't know what the, I don't know what the hell that means, but I'm in. Yeah. I'm tan. <laughs> so the job was you go to uh, you go to the office every day, you pick up a couple of like rubbermaid bins of tanning products and gear, t-shirts, visors, whatever. There's like 20 hotels around the Myrtle Beach area that had these tiki huts already set up. And you would go and they had a contract with Panama Jack. You would go, you'd hang up your shirts and hats and put out your tanning oils and all that at the Tiki Hut. And then your job was to walk around the pool decks and try to get customers to buy your tanning products. And the, like, the big thing was, can you get them to buy a whole tanning kit, which was three $20 bottles. This is back in 1980 or 1991, where you could buy a bottle of Coppertone for like, you know, a buck 95. Yeah. Meanwhile, we're selling, trying to sell three bottles. Anyway, I killed it. Like I was my first four days and I only lasted there four days, but I'm sorry, my first three days, I led the entire sales staff. Like my numbers were better than anybody's, but I hated it. I was so I was bored out of my mind. I didn't feel good about trying to sell $20 bottles of tanning oil. So on day four, I set up at this hotel, 
beautiful day. The first person to come down to the pool deck is this really freaking good looking woman. And she's probably 10 years older than me, maybe, maybe even older. So I'm like, all right, time to go to work. So I walk up to her, just me and her in this pool deck. And she's got a, she's on a lounge chair looking out at the ocean, perfectly clear sky. So I said, Hey, do you mind if I sit here? And she goes, no, just as long as you don't try to sell me any of that crap. And I was like, that sounds like a great idea. So I sit down next to her. She starts telling me about her life. Her husband's in the air force and um, they get to travel all over the world for free. He's going to retire at the age of 42, like all, all things that are like, like just, and I'm, and we're looking at this beautiful sky. Yeah. And um, by the way, the, the Gulf war was just ending. The first Gulf war was just ending and we were victorious and, you know, so thanks to this conversation with this woman at lunchtime, I packed up all my Panama Jack crap, went straight to the air force recruiter and said, I want to fly. After that, I dropped off all my Panama Jack stuff. Um, I was supposed to take my Air Force officers test in Columbia, South Carolina sometime in April. That test got canceled. There was one in Philadelphia on May 1st, 1991, which is four days before graduation. So I take the test in Philadelphia. They, um, they tell me I'm going to have my results in like 12 to 18 days, something like that. I'm still dating a girl at Bethany. She li- she's from Pittsburgh. So I go out for graduation May 5th. That afternoon, I moved to Pittsburgh to uh, Myron Avenue in Oakland, right down the street from the O in this, I don't know if you call it tenement housing, whatever it was. It was a disaster. I live with a guy named Hooch. That's about Hooch. Hooch is about five foot six, red hair, built like a truck. Great guy. Didn't see him sober for the first, like, I didn't see him drink anything that wasn't alcohol for the first four days I met him. Like he was on a bender, by the oh, way, yeah. he, he was studying to be a dentist. So that should make you feel good. <laughs> so, so Hooch, first night I come in, I arrive at this, this place that I'm going to live in. Hooch is in the living room with some of the, some of his friends, boys and girls. And Hooch is hammered <laughs> and he reaches under the sofa. These are like, he, these are all poor, co- like legitimately poor college kids. He's reaching under the sofa trying to find change to buy something from the O. And he comes across a milk bone dog treat. He dips it in some ketchup and starts eating it. A dentist. Yeah. One of the girls who was there, she's like, I've known every tenant who's lived here for the past three years and not one of them had a dog. (laughs) Like, I don't know how old this freaking dog, this dog treat was. So anyway, the, um, my girlfriend was with me. We walked into the kitchen and turned on the kitchen light. And I kid you not, thousands upon thousands of cockroaches scatter everywhere into the stove, under the sink. Like just, it was unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, I can't live like this. So um, anyway, my bedroom was on like the third floor with a water bed, which I, whoever invented that should be shot on television. But anyway, <laughs> we had no hot water. We had no air conditioning and we had a cockroach infested place, but the cockroaches stayed down below. Right. So the, I had a sanctuary up on the third floor, but it was so damn hot. Yeah. 
So I lived there for a few weeks and I, I was out of money. I mean, I was flat broke. Um, my parents were so opposed to me moving to Pittsburgh that I refused to ask them for help. Mm-hmm. Like I'll die on this hill, you know? <laughs> so, um, but I got to a point where I'm not, I'm not kidding you. There's no exaggeration. I hadn't eaten in three days. And, um, I woke up one morning, you know, sleeping basically in boxer shorts because it's so hot up there. I woke up one morning with a cockroach crawling across my chest. And I was like, I'm done. That, <laughs> yeah, it. that's so not knowing what to do and not having any money. Um, I called JC and I, I didn't have any kind of agenda. You know, it was just I just needed somebody to talk to. And he's like, he's like, look, man, he goes, soccer camps start. I think it was this afternoon. It's either this afternoon or tomorrow, whatever. He's like, come down. You can work for three weeks. You get three meals a day. And in my mind, I'm already sold. Three meals yeah. a day, I'm in. He's and like, no roaches. Hot, hot showers, no roaches, and we'll pay you. Sold. So I go down to Bethany for soccer camps. During, I'm a, during the second week, which is high school girls week, I'm assigned to be Jimmy Regan's assistant coach. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Regan is also, in addition to being a Bethany alum, he is the head men's and women's coach at Wheeling Jesuit. Jimmy and I are coaching a team from New Jersey and we're having the time of our lives. Our team is really good. We get, Jimmy and I get along really well. And on like the third or fourth day, his college assistant calls to tell him that he's leaving. He's, he's going to get his master's at Cleveland state. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, you know, Jimmy needs an assistant. I need a job. And uh, that's how my coaching career started. You know, I got hired out of camp to be Jimmy's assistant at Wheeling and then, uh, you know, ended up bouncing around from there. So how long do you stay at Wheeling? Three years. Um, <laughs> for the first year, I was getting $200 a month. That's a month. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard it. I was just like. <laughs> but I was, uh, I got free housing in the freshman dorm. Okay. And a meal plan. But I didn't get along. Like when you're, when you've been a college graduate, it's hard to deal with a sophomore RA trying yeah. to impose rules on you. And so I'm like, I can't, I can't do it, deal with this. Well, so I you, you were part of a group that was fundamentally good at following rules. Yeah, yeah exactly. Time. exactly. I mean, you guys really were the epitome of the rule followers. Exactly. It's in my DNA to be, uh, <laughs> to walk, you know, color between the lines. <laughs> so, um, moved out to a, a house that was known as the Brown house. It's literally Wheeling's campus. There's a footbridge off campus. And the first house you see is, was this thing called the Brown house. And it was disaster. Then this is before we moved in. It had a porch overhang and literally there were bushes growing off the porch overhang. Like you could mow that. You could mow <laughs> that thing. The, the floor had a, it was some moisture, like there was a a lump the size of a manatee in the in the uh, one of the, like the living room floor or whatever. It was mm-hmm. it was a horrible place, but it was great for us. So um, anyway, because I moved off campus, my pay went up, so my pay doubled. So there you I go. And I was making four hundred dollars a month, but I was you know paying three hundred in rent or whatever. So so yeah, that's how um I so I I, I was at Wheeling for three years. And it was like the blizzard of three or 94 
Mm-hmm. Um, shortly thereafter, there was a record cold. Like in, it was insanely cold. Um, I want to say the wind chill was down to like minus 60 degrees. Mm-hmm. Like it was ridiculously cold. And I was living in Wheeling. It was so cold. They shut down school without snow. Oh, it was, it was one just, of those that can't have the kids outside because yeah, these are college kids. These are adults. Yeah. Right? They just, they shut down a college for two days because it was so damn cold. So that, that was on like a Thursday, Friday, they shut down. And then, um, on Monday morning, I walked into Jimmy's office and I was like, I said, Jimmy, I love you like a brother. I said, but, but come August, I'm a Southerner, man. <laughs> like I can't, I can't do this. So, um, yeah, so Jimmy helped me get a job down in, in rural South Georgia mm-hmm. at a school called Bruton Parker. Um, had a good run there. Got a job from there. Parlayed that into Embry-Riddle University in Daytona Beach. Uh, was there for nine years. Then went to uh, the University of Mississippi. Was at Ole Miss for, I think, three seasons. Yeah, I think three, maybe two or three seasons. I yeah, got three, three seasons here, but I don't yeah. know now. I feel like you might have you might have put some you might have duped me on some of the information that <laughs> on you. Yeah, I was I was at Ole Miss for three seasons, and then um and then uh my boss got the job at University of Georgia, so I followed him there, and yeah. Well, now, so you're also there's a there's another side to you. Still involved in soccer, but there's a whole other side to the to to Danny Blank. Uh, and that's the best-selling author. I mean, you're a you're you're yeah, pretty you that crap. <laughs> well, I, I've heard it multiple times, and it's at the top of your LinkedIn page. It says best-selling author. Is it really? It is. I did. All right. So I have a question because there's a quote that I found from you. Okay. And it's write as if your readers are from Mars or were from Mars, and you say that you use that in in writing and in coaching. Yeah. Why? All right. So let me, I was always good with words, right? Like I could, I think my writing started when I was in seventh grade, I would change the words to songs. Right. And I make everybody laugh. (laughs) I could always, I was, was, I was just good with words, but I didn't know how to write. Mm -hmm. Um, I learned to write from two sources. One is when I was a kid, just reading in the newspaper, basically reading the sports page uh, or pages. And then, um, and then when I was at Bethany, I took a J term class with uh, Mrs. Cole, Judy Cole, called expository writing. And it like it just that's where they write as if you're writing for Martians or whatever um, came in. It was like it was she explained how to write so simply to get your point across. And I mean, if you look at my anything I write, it's, it's, it's so simple. It's basically like a cookbook. You know what I mean? It's, it's very, I don't know a lot of big words, so there's that. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at getting to my point pretty quickly, which is, especially when you're, when you're reading nonfiction, that's what you want. You don't want yeah. fluff. You're like, tell me the freaking solution. Right. And then, and so I'm good at, I'm good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I could never write a novel. You know, I, I don't, I get impatient trying to describe stuff. You know, I just, I just want to stay here. This is as simple as I can possibly make it for you. And I'm. And I'm that's the overall with that message. That's kind of the overall goal. If you were saying to somebody else that's writing in a similar way to you, that might help them is just write it as if the person, so you have to simplify it to the point that the person knows nothing about it. 
even yeah. if they that's that's kind of the gist there yeah it's exactly right right you gotta assume that you're the person reading your book has no idea what you're talking about when they pick up the book and uh yeah just just make it as, as clear as possible so you also kind of parlayed that into the soccer poet llc what is what is that about oh who freaking knows man <laughs> <laughs> you know is I was trying so hard to come up with a name for a website and I wanted two things that didn't go together. And I would like, I would have loved for one of them to be, to have been something to do with writing. And I just couldn't come up with one and literally like soccer poet was the best of a lot of bad ideas. Um, <laughs> it was you know, the I one mean, that stuck. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, I, and I, it was, it was kind of a time crunch, right? Cause the book was about to be published I needed to have a website and it needed a name. And so I was just like, screw it. Nobody's going to read it anyway. Who cares? Right. Um, but then I published it. I published um, soccer. I paid, it's funny. I paid like $700 to have it published back mm -hmm. in 2011, I guess it was, or 12. And I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm spending $700 on this thing. Like what a, what a stupid move this is. And so for the first few months it was released, first nine months, it was selling like 30, 35 copies a month, right? Which is, which is fine. You know, give me enough years at that. Eventually I'll get my money back or whatever. Yeah. It was never supposed to make money. It was just supposed to be a bucket list thing, right? Like Jay Martin, who is still the men's coach at Ohio Wesleyan University. At the time, he was the editor of a magazine called the soccer journal. Mm -hmm. And so that may, so the book got published in July. So almost a year later, I send him a, uh, a copy of it. Yeah. In April of 2012. Don't hear anything back from him. That October soccer journal comes out. Somebody calls me. They're like, Hey, have you seen this? Have you seen a journal yet? I said, no, why? They're like your books in there. I was like, what? Like, yeah, Jay Martin named it a top five book of the year. And immediately it went from selling like 35 copies to that month it came out and all of a sudden it was selling a thousand copies and then mm -hmm. thousands of copies. And then, um, I mean, I mean like a full year later at Christmas time, it sold, you know, in a six week span, it sold like 50,000 copies. I was like, holy crap. You know, that $700 suddenly didn't seem so like such a bad then, idea. As a bucket list thing, and the, to be worried about that you spent $700 to get it published, and you're sitting there saying, okay, 35 a, a month, you do the math, and we'll get there eventually. And then for it to go like kind of like that, it was, that, that has to be almost overwhelming at, at the beginning. It was crazy because, you know, and I... I don't know if I should even tell this story, but like, I don't, I don't think I, I think my behavior was fairly normal because I was so surprised by how much it was selling that I would sit at my computer and just <laughs> refresh and refresh. You know, like if you've seen the social network where they keep refreshing to see how many subscribers they have, yeah. that's kind of what I was doing. And I was like, this is unbelievable. Like what, what the hell just happened? <laughs> so, um, so and the other thing was, when we first got to the job at Georgia, like a month into our job, the athletic directors changed. Okay. Which is bad news mm -hmm. because athletic directors get basically judged on how much money they raise, 
how many buildings they build and how the coaches do that they hire. So they're not going to, they're not going to get credit for anything that the coach, you know, a new athletic director comes into university of Alabama, pretty sure Nick Saban's job is still safe, but that athletic director isn't getting credit for Nick Saban. No. Um, so, you know, the new athletic director came in and, and he was just dropping the ax on a lot of very good coaches from different sports. And so, excuse me, our gymnastics team was one of the best in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, like one of the coolest things you could ever go to is a university of Georgia women's gymnastics meet. Like it's just phenomenal. Like it's, it's like a concert, man. There's, they, they outdrew the basketball team, same arena. The, they, they call them the gym dogs would, would sell the place out. Mm-hmm. And it was just a phenomenal atmosphere. I take my daughter there. We had a blast. And, um, so anyway, the, the, the head coach for when the head coach from the gym dogs got fired and they, they were ranked fifth in the country at the end of their season and he got let go. And I was like, Oh, our days are numbered. Yeah. It's just so, when it's more of a, when not an yeah. if. So at that point, all of a sudden I realized like, Hey, there's a, there's a serious income stream with these books. Mm-hmm. I got to write as many as I possibly can as quick as I possibly can, because you know, there's an ax swinging over our head, which everything I thought happened to be correct. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I was writing three books at a time, literally, you know, I had three books going at once and, and with the it. way that you clearly the way that you write that almost simplifies your process as well, because you can focus on the specific things you're writing about and ex- explain them to a T so that somebody that's reading it can utilize it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, and thank God I wasn't writing novels. like like my my outlines are so simple you know what i mean like i just i don't need subplots and i don't need you know the things in act three coming together from act one like i just need you know each chapter can stand it on its own in Mm -hmm. any order so that's uh which is perfect for my disorganized mind so we i I have three more questions for you i want to ask knock yourself out one of which you you played at the division three level you've coached at the division one level you've coached at the division two level you've coached at the division three level correct correct why division three if you're talking not just forget about the fact that bethany's a division three program and we love frankie and we love the program and we want it to grow but if you're talking to a high school student right now who is looking to play in college why division three if those d1 and d2 offers aren't coming well, first of all, I'm really opposed to players making a decision based on the label of division. Okay. Right. Like, I, I think that's a foolish way to approach it. Um, I'll give you an example. We had at Georgia, if we wanted to, we could have had a roster of a hundred kids every year. Mm-hmm. There's so many kids that want to come play at the university of Georgia. Their parents they are from Atlanta. Their parents went there. Their uncle went there, their grand, whatever. Yeah. Um, there were kids who I, you know, I would be in the, we'd be in a room with them and I'd be trying to talk them out of it. You know, I'd be like, look, you're a good player, but you know, every, you're the best player on your, on your high school team. Every kid in our locker room was the best player in our high school team. Yeah. You know, um, and I, I would try to tell them, look, do you, do 
do you want to play college soccer or do you want to watch it? Because mm -hmm. if you come to Georgia, you're going to end up watching it. Like that's, I'm trying to be as blunt as like, coach, I just want a chance. I just want to be a part of the team, blah, blah, blah. And so we give a couple of these kids the opportunity to just be a part of the team. And, you know, that's great for the first week. And then all of a sudden the games start happening and they're not playing, but they're doing just as much work as everybody else. And then the, you know, the shine is off the apple. Yeah. So, um, and they, they'd end up like very good soccer players would end up not playing soccer in college, mm -hmm. you know, because they shot above, you know, they just wanted to be D one and, and they didn't get to play. Right. Yeah. So um, I don't, I don't, encourage anybody to start with I want to play D1 right it's got to be I want to find a school that I love and a school that I want to represent mm -hmm. I coached in the NAI for nine years um hell no I'm sorry I coached in the NAI for 12 years and I'm telling you what when the season ended the division one kids didn't cry any harder than the NAI kids okay it meant just as much to those kids as it did to the D1 player Mm. Right. Find a program that you're going to love that you're going to actually get to play college soccer. Right. And don't get me wrong. Wherever you go, you're still going to have to go earn your spot. But, you know, don't make it about that label, because if soccer is important to you, then or whatever sport it is. Yeah. You got you got to be realistic. And one of the problems that a lot of kids run into is they confuse. <laughs> they don't understand the difference between when a college is recruiting them and when they are recruiting the college. So you email me and I email you, I respond. When your brain translates that into, Oh my God, he's recruiting me. That's, that's a problem. Right. And yeah. you've got to be very, I almost think that everybody should have a friend who is completely emotionally uninvested in the process to say, they're not, they're not interested. You know what I mean? There, there's nothing in this letter that shows an interest in you. They're trying to get you to come to their camp. They want to, they want you to pay $200 or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, so that, you know, you have to know, are you recruiting the college or is the college recruiting you? And you'll know when the college is recruiting you, it'll be unmistakable. Yeah. So, um, but as for division three, there's, there's a couple of real advantages to it. One is this, you get, you get to do more stuff, right? Like, mm -hmm. and don't at Bethany college soccer was a job to us and yeah. we probably put more time into, into it than a lot of most other schools. I mean, we had so much video work. We had meetings all the time. Um, you know, it was, it was at times we would, we would just beg JC for a day off. We never got a day off. Our yeah. day off was Sundays was a five mile run. That's not a day off. That's a freaking five mile run. Yeah. And um, in my four seasons at Bethany, we had literally two days off. The whole time? The whole time. But yeah, I'm talking just in the fall, just from preseason pre to the end of the season. Yeah. Over four years, one day, I think my maybe my freshman year, and one day my junior year. That was it. Like, we never got – And there had to be some extenuating circumstances for there to be a day off, I feel like. I don't feel like it was just on a whim that we're taking the day off. It was – No, it was, it was just begging, you know, like – like we hate soccer right now, you know what I mean? But yeah. so anyway, it's not, you can't do that anymore. Right. Like now it's mandated. You have to have a day off and so yeah. forth. So um, times have changed, but the thing about being D three, even with, 
even with that workload, it's not a division one workload. Yeah. Like in division one, your, your time is so regimented for you. Your practice from this time to that time, then you're, you know, you get grab dinner, then you're in the weight room, then you're at study hall and boom, 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 boom. And it's all year. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, at Bethany, I got to play soccer and I got to play baseball. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's not going to happen at a division one school, unless you were so good at both sports that you get to call your own shots. Right. Yeah. Um, you, you know, a lot of division one programs, they're not going to let you be in a fraternity or sorority. Bethany, I got to be in a fraternity. Like there's yep. just, you know, division three, you just kind of have a, more freedom to choose what you're going to do with your time. That's, I think that's a big advantage to, to division three. Uh, and like I said, you get a team you love. It's not going to mean the label's not going to mean crap to you. Right. No. It's, it, you know, when, when you're going to be just as happy when you win, you're going to be just as sad when you lose, you're going to be just as devastated when your career is over. So, um, find, you know, find the school that fits and, uh, you know, get the label out of the equation as soon as you can. Next question. If you were, when you came to Bethany, because again, you said, you know, you, you filled out a card, you came to Bethany uh, or Bethany came to you. Then you came to Bethany for the visit and, what would you say the brand was that attracted you to Bethany? Or what was it about Bethany that attracted well, you? Like I said, like I said, I was looking for three things and one of them was a small school. Um, and I didn't really at the time understand why I think I have a better, better handle of it now. So I think every college is kind of a bubble, mm-hmm. right? You live in this little utopia. And I think the smaller the school and the smaller the town, um, the, the people who live in that bubble become magnified. You take up more space yeah. in your bubble, right? Um, and I didn't want to be just a number at a college. You know what I mean? I wanted to be known, right? I wanted to, I don't know if that even makes sense. I, I wanted my professors to know me. I like, I don't, I'm not saying I wanted to be famous. I wanted I wanted my professors to know me. I wanted my coaches to know me, you know, mm-hmm. um, I didn't want to be just kind of an anonymous thing going, uh, down the assembly line. So that was, um, that was a big attraction to me. Um, when I first started looking at schools, my, my parents had one rule, you're not going to Florida, <laughs> like, which I mean, it was a really smart move on their part. Like I, because my first thought was I want to go to school in Florida and they immediately took that off the board. That was it. That nope. Yeah. Gone. No, that was it. Um, we, uh, <laughs> my best friend and I, there used to, there was a thing called Barron's college guide. Mm-hmm. And we breezed through it, you know, and he found at the time it's, I'm sure it's changed now, Nova Southeastern and I'm in Fort Lauderdale which at the time was spring break capital of the world. And uh, it's been a good time. It, it was a big nursing school. So the ratio was like two to one girls to guys. We're like, we're going there. My parents are like, no, you're not. Nope. That's the end of that. We'll cut that yeah. right here. So, uh, so anyway, um, when we tro- took our trip out to Bethany, it was just, I don't know why I liked it so much. It was just beautiful. You know, old Maine was beautiful. The people were so nice. Uh, a girl I was friends with in 
high school, but had lost touch with, ran into her in the cafeteria. I was like, holy crap, Katie, what are you doing here? So um, yeah, it was just, uh, I used to say this to, to recruits. When you step out of your car, like as soon as you shut the door, you're going to get a feeling, mm-hmm. you know, and when you're at the right school, you'll know it. And um, for me, that was the, that was my Bethany moment, man. I stepped out of the car and I was like, this is the place, you know, the, I, I don't know. I can't explain it. It was just, it's what I imagined a college was supposed to look like. Well, so let's, let's dive into that recruiting style uh, that you would have for this, the final question. And it, 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 if you were talking to a senior right now today, why Bethany? Why should we, why should they come to this small part of Brook County? Well, they get to be on your podcast. <laughs> Is that a bucket list thing? Or are we now like checking? <laughs> I get to be on Dingo Talk. Check. This is Dingo Talk? Shit. This I thought this was. Talk. <laughs> I thought I was on Dude, Smart. Wait, did you hell? check the wrong box? Is You're that not Jason you? Bateman? <laughs> Holy crap. Oh. Um, I'll tell you why what you can't be and go to Bethany, right? Like you can't be obsessed with the, um, God, I, wanna, I wish I could find a word for this. The, um, the bells and whistles. Yeah. Right. It's a small school. Um, you've got to love people, right? You got to love being around people because Bethany is relationships, right? Like, I mean, we had, <laughs> we had so much fun in this ridiculously small town with one bar, you know, it was just, but if you didn't have those strong relationships, you would have been miserable. You know, there's there's no way around it. Um, You know, I I can think back when I was living on the third floor Alpha Sig on, on Sunday nights. I mean, we, I mean, we may have had 10 channels of television at this point, but we did have Fox. And, um, you know, on Sunday nights, uh, I was living with Maddie McLeod, um, you know, Eduardo Ibanez and Sarah Riggs, who now are married. And some others would come over and we would just we'd watch The Simpsons at eight, get a life at eight thirty, married with children at nine. Uh, Elena Lochner, Bundy would come over. And we, we would, you know, like it was and we loved that those Sunday nights. And there was, you know, just a group of about five or six of us watching television. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every Sunday night and, you know, that's, if you don't value relationships, if, if that's not like what drives you, then Bethany's not the place for you. Yeah. But yeah. if you, if that is who you are then Bethany has so many opportunities, you can get involved in anything. Nobody's going to tell you, you can't have a radio show and be in a play. By the way, I was in a musical, got it, which is another freaking ridiculous story. Cause I can't sing where the crap, um, but nobody's going to tell you, you can't do any, let me tell you that story, by the way. Yeah, let's I'm, hear that one. I can't, we can't let you off without the, now I got to hear it. What is the, so you were in the, you were in a, pl- a performance. What was the performance? So in my spring, spring of my seat, what would, would it should have been my senior year? Um, I had an elective to choose. So I choose musical theater. I swear to God, I thought we would just go and watch like, videotapes of whatever you didn't know you were going to be like the musical theater no i had no idea so 
the first day I learned that we have to sing every day. Every class session, we have to sing by ourselves, solo, a cappella. Believe me, this is not false modesty. I'm horrible at singing. I can't dance. I can't play an instrument. And worst of all, I can't sing worth a damn. But it, there were some really good singers in that class. Kelsey Barber was in that class. Um, anyway, so we had to sing ridiculous show tunes like Button Up Your Overcoat. Like it was just, it was just awful. Like I was so bad. It wasn't bad for the people who could sing. For me, it was, it was a nightmare. Yeah. So one of the, Dr. David Judy was the, uh, he, he ran the class and he also ran the theater program. One of the requirements for the course was you had to try out for the musical, mm-hmm. which was Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. So for this, you're actually going to get mic'd up to sing. I'd never heard of this. I may have heard of the show. I didn't know any of the songs in it mm-hmm. until I walked on stage and like, I couldn't keep up. Like I was, I was so bad. I was so wrong. Like I was saying the words at the wrong time. Like it was think of the worst karaoke you've ever heard. <laughs> Multiply it by 10 and then put it on steroids. That was me. I mean, I was horrendous. So the next class session, we sit down on the stage and Dr. Judy walks up and he's like, Dan, we missed you at rehearsal. I said, rehearsal for what? He's like, the musical. I made that. <laughs> like, I didn't even bother <laughs> checking. I didn't even bother checking the list. I knew I, there's no way they could cast me in this. I'm a freaking disaster. But so, yeah, I got cast in the musical. I played a character called Potiphar. So we have to add to your title. So we got soccer coach, best-selling author, and one-time thespian. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll tell you what. Of, of the people who regret that decision, I'm probably number two. Dr. Judy is probably number one because it was awful. Well, I think that's a really good place to wrap this all up. Can, um, I, can I tell you that? Can I let me tell you the rest of the story in this? Okay. So there's one there's one scene in this play where i have to sit with my knees over the edge of the stage and there's a girl who sits next to me and she's supposed to flirt with me and this this girl for one is a phenomenal singer but two she's also serious about the theater so we we rehearse for a couple months i guess Mm -hmm. and she's always flirty and leaning her head on my shoulder whatever on the night of the show first show my mom is in the front freaking row And this number comes on and this girl sticks her tongue in my ear. <laughs> and I start doing this and the, the crowd loved it. The crowd went crazy. Like they thought it was the funniest thing in the world, but she knew like she, she held that back the for all that time. time just to know, just cause she knew she would get a reaction from the crowd and from me when she did that on stage and I was after I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I can't believe you just did that. So anyway, that was, yeah, that was my, uh, my thespian experience. Um, so then that was, was your heck. spot is you got a tongue in your ear and you naturally. Yeah, and I, was, I was like convulsing. Like it was, I had no idea how sensitive my ear was to, uh, you know, a tongue. Well, but, uh, I also, I want to thank Walt and Matt 
long ankles and Matt Wybie because they were uh, very vocal about we wanted to get you on the show. I, I I had talked to, I think JC had mentioned getting you on the show and I, I meant to, we, we did not cross paths. I think we crossed paths for a brief moment at homecoming. We didn't, you know, I, I blew yeah. my hand up this year, so I didn't, we didn't, I, I it wasn't a great time, but uh, you guys had a, great, had a great time, time over at Thad's tent. You had a great time over at Thad's tent. The, 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 uh, active member tent I blew my hand up and I don't know what happened after that I kind of just I was done with well I'll tell you what Tracy Freshwater um gosh I can't think of her last name now Tracy Lincoln mm-hmm. her maiden name is Freshwater her and Elena Lochner Elena Davis um Lee Moffitt uh they're doing an incredible job for the class of 92 for um getting together a homecoming crowd for next year yeah and it's not just the 92s but they're they're recruiting on both both sides of 92 i think next year for our era it's going to be a pretty big turnout um and i'm, I'm really looking forward to it i want to come out there and uh you know cook some meats and uh yeah we'll have a we'll do it we'll do it better this year well so I want to thank you for taking time because it's, you know, with that, with everybody's schedules the way they are and the way the last couple of years have been, nobody knows what day it is. So to take an hour and some change out and be able to talk, it's good to catch up with you. Um, yeah. I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is D- the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour, Dan Blank, class of 1991. You can find us on Instagram. It's Dingo underscore talk, Twitter at Dingo Talk. Uh, TikTok is at Dingo Talk. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts now. Type in Dingo Talk into the search bar. And as always, every t- every Thursday on YouTube at 10 a.m. Uh, Dan, thank you again, and we will catch you next week, Chuckleheads. Hey, thanks for having me.